1: What is going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Fantasy Football Roundtable Podcast. It is Thursday. Matt is here with myself. We are going to finish talking about the AFC North, our last divisional um, preview show. Save, right, Save
2: the best for last, right?
1: Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals on the docket for today. And then once those finish up, we will be talking about the Black Widow movie, which came out last week, and, of course, the— season finale of loki which uh was a little bit surprising wasn't sure we were gonna get another one i loved it stayed i got up at two o'clock this morning to watch it so i'm excited to talk about that as always we'll give you guys plenty of time to get out of the show or stop listening if you're listening on the podcast but if you
2: basically once he mentions the word tight end and bangles you can tune out
1: exactly yeah i mean really once you once we get done with like talking about the wide receivers you can just it's been great you know we'll see you again on monday but yeah it's it's gonna be a a fun episode i am uh Looking forward, especially if I'm being honest, I'm really looking forward to the end because there's just there's a lot that's happened in the some of the people I usually talk to when it comes to that stuff. haven't had a chance to watch Loki yet, so I need to I need to get my thoughts out. I need to we need to discuss. So I feel like you and
2: I are you and I are both tired today for similar reasons. You got up super early to watch it this morning. I stayed up last night watching that and that Netflix movie Gunpowder Milkshake. And uh, I was telling Oh, It's so good. So Karen Gillian, who um, plays Gamora's sister in Guardians of the Galaxy, is the star of Gunpowder Milkshake. uh, Cersei Lannister is her mom. Uh, There's a couple other people in there. She's basically an assassin. Um, It's an excellent film. I currently have it sitting uh, at number five for my favorite movies of 2021 so far after watching it last night. But I was telling... You obviously off air. We're hosting VBS at uh, work this week, and there's been uh, four to five hundred kids every day, and it's a lot. So, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, I mean, it's nice
2: two- unwind with some MCU and casual violence at night.
1: I mean, I-, I think two kids is a lot. So when you're talking about hundreds upon hundreds, that's definitely uh definitely a lot of work. So let's dive into it though and talk about uh, the Cleveland Browns, so we can make our way toward the movies here, uh, Cleveland. You know. Very happily, for me at least, I thought, finished uh, in third place with an 11-5 and five record. Uh, they did lose to the Chiefs, though, in the divisional round, 22-17. Their key additions, they added defensive engine Davian Clowney, defensive tackle Malik Jackson, and safety John Robinson. Key losses, Sheldon Richardson, the defensive tackle, goes to the Vikings. Safety Carl Joseph goes to the Raiders. Olivier Vernon, as well, I believe, uh, is still a free agent. He He's the one that I kind of hate to see what happened, he, he tore his Achilles late in the season likely will not get to sign with anybody this year's I doubt he plays in the first round they take the cornerback out of Northwestern Greg Newsom, second round pick they got linebacker Jeremiah Owusu Karamoa out of Notre Dame and then in the third round they get wide receiver Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn The Browns had a great 2020 season, beating Pittsburgh not only in the playoffs, but in Week 17 to get into the playoffs and came up just short against the Chiefs. How far can they go in 2020? And and Matt, in your opinion, are they the best team in the AFC North?
2: I think they might be the best team in the AFC North. We talked about on Monday. Um, I don't think either of us is super high on Pittsburgh going into this year. I love the pick of Harris. I think they have some good pieces, but we really saw them kind of fall apart down the stretch last year. I'm not. I think that hangs over. Baltimore still seems like they're a pretty solid contender, and Cleveland. I think it's really going to be those two kind of up up at the top this year. I liked what Cleveland did last year. I thought they had great energy. I think they've had a decent offseason. They, re, you know, for the most part, are returning all their key pieces for the first time. I think in his entire career, Baker gets some continuity of having the same coach and the same system two years in a row. That can be nothing but good things. Yeah, I think that's correct. I think some of the tendency to say the team was worse with OBJ is the fact that they had no offseason. They were adjusting to a new system at the beginning of the season, and Baker got better and more confident with what he was supposed to be doing and his reads as he went through the season. I don't tend to think that that has a ton to do with OBJ, so I think having him come back healthy is actually going to be a boon uh, to this team uh, going this year. I'm not willing – you know there was a real strong narrative that seemed to develop there. I know you and I have talked about it a yeah. few times. I just am not buying into it. I think there were other things going on. I mean, that was Baker's third system in three years. I'm excited for him to, to have some continuity. I think their defense has been uh, improving. They've gotten some pieces there. So hopefully that continues uh, to shape up. And I think all the pieces are there. We've said that for a couple of years, you know, to the difference between 2019 and t- 2020, I think, was a little bit better coaching and probably some maturity for the yeah. team in general. And you're only gonna see that continuing. They were very close to to taking out the Chiefs. And I know a lot is made of that, that it, it was close because Mahomes went out. But that game was very tight before Mahomes went out. Um I think they're they're a good team and I expect them to be in the playoffs to make a run, to make a run at the division title.
1: Yeah, I mean you know I'm with you on the OBJ thing. I, I don't I think it's just an easy narrative to to go with, and so that's why I think one. it's one of those things with fantasy football. Um, like I'm going to compare it to the Austin Eckler thing because I've even said the Austin Eckler thing. Everybody talks about how Austin Eckler has always been injured, but then when you actually go look at it, like I know I've said that on here before, and then you've brought it up, it's like, well, he's only actually missed like one game out of like the past couple of seasons. Like, oh, wow, really? Like you, you would think he's yeah. missed more. I think it's just an easy narrative to grab a hold of because – that first year he came over to the Browns, we you know let's be honest, myself included, a lot of people were hyping him up like, oh, wow, they made this big trade, comes off like that great run at the end of the season, they bring back Freddie Kitchens, everybody's hyping up this offense like Lego get Odell Beckham Jr. comes over to the offense, and then they just didn't do anything. They didn't have the chemistry that year. I've said before, I'll say it again, a lot of that I put, I hate blaming one person, but I think... A lot of that just went on Freddie Kitchens, I think not being ready to be a head coach. I don't want to say he can't ever be a head coach because I still think he's a really good offensive coordinator. Uh, but I think it was just he wasn't ready for what was about to happen with the Browns. I don't think he was It's
2: the a little too pick. much pressure too. That <laughs> exactly OBJ trade combined with how they ended the previous season, I think. We, you know, they got crowned in the offseason. And that's yeah. a lot for a team that hasn't experienced a big slice of success to be able to take that. I think they learned a lot from 2019.
1: I agree. And so I'm with you. I mean, obviously, I think some of the narrative that Baker was forcing the ball to Odell at Times is true. But realistically, I think every quarterback does that in a way for their top targets. I don't think that's like Exclusive to Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns. I mean, Dak Prescott would do it with Amari Cooper. You've got I mean, the only one maybe you say doesn't is Tom Brady. I don't really, you know, he probably doesn't, especially because oh well, I don't know. He did when he he's, had Randy Moss. Exactly. Like he's never had that top playmaker. Last year he had three of them in and Godwin, Gronk, and um Evans. So it's not like he had to go to one. But I mean, Aaron Rodgers to Devontae Adam. Granted, he doesn't have that Jarvis Landry next to him, but I I do agree with you there. I think the offense is in for a boon, especially with, you know, and the one thing a lot of people may not realize it's actually his fourth new, fourth different offense because he had Hugh Jackson, then Todd Haley comes in and gives him a whole different offense. And then they go to Freddie kitchens mid season. Now Freddie kitchens was then the next year. And then last year they come in with Kevin Stefanski. So he's, Ben kind of the one issue I think we've always seen with Cleveland is that they were, they're always so quick to move on from coaches. They've always got these young quarterbacks. And as we've seen, and we've heard a lot of quarterbacks talk about in the past, it's not easy to continue to jump system to system. These, these things are not mad in offenses that you're just plugging in and looking for like, what's going to be the best way to attack a mad defense. It's a lot of different stuff that goes into these offenses in the NFL And having that continuity, I think this year is going to be big for Baker. We saw him take a huge step forward in the second half of the season where, you know, I I will toot my own horn here a little bit. I kept talking about give him to the bye week and to see what happens. Well, he was a top 12 quarterback most of those weeks. Now, I don't know if that continues. I I dove a little bit deeper into a lot of their stats knowing we were going to talk about them and, the fact that he only threw like five touchdowns in the last, uh, I think it was like the last four games, is not great. That's really only a touchdown a game. That's not going to put you up as a top twelve fantasy quarterback. He-
2: that may be where Odell helps them a little bit. Yes, he's yeah. always been a good. You know, I think the only the the other thing to me, the blessing of the Odell injury is even if it was a tendency to force a little bit, he learned to play in this system without him and to yes. use these other guys, and I think that's going to help when you bring Odell back, he has him for those things, but he's learned to use his other weapons uh, as well. You know, I think that's only gonna help.
1: Yeah, I agree with that 100%. That, that's kind of been my argument as well on why I think Odell will be good. is because Even if I do not think this, so please nobody take me saying this is. I think I've never thought Odell, like does he have some stuff on the sideline you wish he didn't do earlier in his career in Newark? Yes. But I also think he got villainized a little bit as this quote-unquote diva where ever since he's been in Cleveland you've never seen that outside of like a couple games toward the end of that year with Freddie Kitchens where again, I can imagine they're all frustrated, not just baker freddie but even a guy like odell because so much was put on his shoulders as well to kind of be like this guy's going to help lead cleveland to the playoffs as this big wide receiver threat and then they weren't even do they weren't running they had jarvis and odell running the same routes the whole time like if you guys go back two years you can hear me complaining about it with matt it's there's no point in dragging all that back up but i agree with you i think not only does baker now have that ability if you if he needed to to show Odell but like hey look like I know you're our number 1 I believe in you, but with how good our offense looked in the second half, like I don't have to force you the ball. Like let's get the ball to you when you get open. And I honestly don't think Odell's going to be like, no, fuck you. Like he's going to be like, let's go. Let's do this because I think he wants a taste of the success that the Browns got last year as well. He
2: wants a championship. He's talking about that. That was, I think, why he got a little frosted at times in New York because it seemed like they were spinning their wheels and never getting closer.
1: Yeah, and and I think, you know, and let's be honest The Browns saw all that success last year. That's the most success Odell has seen, even though he wasn't a part of the team, in the past couple years, the last couple years of his uh, career in in New York, and then obviously his first couple in Cleveland. And then just my big thing, too, with them is go back to the Dallas Cowboys game. And that one sticks out in my head because, again, I, I live here in Texas. All my friends are Cowboys fans. Odell was the one that wins them that game. He's the one yeah. who takes the end around and goes, I think it was like 60 yards, 70 yards, whatever mm. it was, and scores a touchdown. They didn't have that end at the end of the year, and it did cost them. And, you know, I think it cost them in the Jets game when they lost all those players to COVID. They had nobody to count on. They lost, I think, in the Baltimore game. They had really nobody. It was When the defenses forced Baker to go short, they had nobody else to go to. It was just Jarvis. And, honestly, probably cost him a little bit in the Chiefs game because they just didn't have that one big playmaker for Stefanski to be like, all right, I'm going to draw up this play because you had just Chubb and Hunt. And while Landry is phenomenal, and I love Landry, I think we can all be honest and say he's not Odell Beckham Jr. So I I agree with you 100%. He just gives that offense a whole nother dynamic. You know, then you can have a – You don't have to have a Rashard Higgins or a Donovan Peoples-Jones being the wide receiver two on that team. They can come back to being that wide receiver three where I think they fit perfectly into that offense. I'm really intrigued to see what they do with Anthony Schwartz. He gives them more speed than they've ever had on that team the the past couple years that Baker's been there. I don't know if we see much of him this year, but he is definitely a true field stretcher. Whether defenses will treat him that way or not, that time will tell, but... I'm excited for them. I will stick with my saying of it. Maybe this is just three years of torture because really I've only had a couple years of happiness throughout that 30 years of being a bit of Browns faners back is as far back as I can remember. Uh, I still will say, you know, Baltimore is the king of the division just because Lamar and that defense have been doing it for the past couple years. They've gone to the playoffs every single year. Yeah. You know, we said on the Steelers show, I think realistically – the Steelers and the Browns right now are the number two of the division. And on paper, I would take the Browns, but as we saw with that Freddie Kitchens team on paper, doesn't mean anything if you can't do it on the field. So I want to see it obviously 11 and five first time in the playoffs since who knows when first playoff win. it's a great season to be coming back. It's a great feeling to be coming back, but now we need to see him do it again because now yeah. the Browns are not sneaking up on anybody last year. You know, we talked about, I think you, me and Dennis all had the Browns making the playoffs. I actually had the prediction like right on the nose of 11 and five. I had them finishing second. They finished third, but that is what it is. And I think a lot of that still was, they were sneaking up on people. They had a little bit of an easier schedule because they were coming off of a fourth place schedule. A little bit different. Now, third-place schedule, it's a little bit more difficult. They definitely have some tough games in there, especially toward the end of the year, getting Green Bay. They get the Chiefs in Week 1, though I do think I've said it. I'm going to say it again. I think they're going to win that game. It's a little bit of a different schedule. You're not sneaking up on anybody. Let's see if they can bounce back and do it again this year. I I definitely think that they can, uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun to see what what they do as a possible follow-up season to one of the most successful ones in their franchise overall. All right. So fantasy projections and fantasy finishes. Baker had a solid 2020 season, and now he's finally entering year two in the same system. What should we expect in 2021? So he finishes QB 17, 3,563 yards, 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions, 165 rushing yards and one touchdown.
2: So I think he's, he's a lock for QB two. The question is whether he could get up, um, up high enough. And I, you know, we've talked about before that Minnesota offense and where you often see Cousins finish as kind of an upper-tier QB2. But last year, in a similar offensive scheme, he made it up to QB11. So I think there's still potential to rise above that. I currently have Baker at QB13. I think he's going to be close. I think we're going to see him rise up with touchdown passes, Uh you know, probably throw for a little bit more yards, maybe have a little bit more balance because it seemed like at the beginning of the season, for sure, they were tilting much more run heavy uh, at times. Uh, I know some of those early games were were a struggle offensively in general. Yeah. Uh, particularly of the punt, of the uh, punt and field goal fest against, I think it was the Raiders. Um, I know that drove you crazy too, but yes. I think the potential is there for Baker to do pretty well. I still have him in QB2 range, but I think he can get up there and flirt on the high-end cusp.
1: Yeah, so do I. So I mentioned it at the beginning there. Like, if you go in and look at it, obviously having five touches. But it, I mean, it was five touchdowns and one interception in those last four games. Like, that, that definitely is a good touchdown to interception ratio. But realistically, if you're talking about one or even two touchdowns a game – that's not going to win it for you in fantasy, especially when you don't have the rushing upside that some of these other guys do. Like, hey, yeah, if Herbert's going out there and throwing two touchdowns a game, but he's also getting you like 60 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown mixed in here and there. That's going to boost him up over Baker Mayfield. We know that Baker just doesn't have that rushing upside. So I don't know if – I mean, again, 20 – was 28, right? I can't remember now. my 20, 26 touchdowns? Yeah, I think 26. that goes up. <laughs> but I don't know how much I think he gets 30, maybe a couple over 31, 32, but he's not going to get you a 35 to 40, like some of these top tier quarterbacks. So
2: see, that's the thing, you know, uh, that's the same argument. I'm going to just stick up from, for a minute that I heard them making about um, Stafford with the Rams. Mm -hmm. And I looked and Stafford aside from, you know, a season earlier in his career where he threw for like five thousand yards, forty-one touchdowns. He was more in the four four thousand to forty five hundred, and he never really he only had like one or two seasons over 30 touchdowns. Jared Goff, similar kind of numbers landing at QB ten, QB twelve in the last few years. Stafford's been a top 10 QB, I believe it was five times out of the last you know, seven years and he's never gone above 32, I think was his number of touchdowns. So you can actually be in that lower end top 10, even without being a big time rusher, it's limiting mistakes. And I think Baker was really great at that to end that season. So if he gets to the 31, 32 range and doesn't have a lot of interceptions and has a, a little uptick in yardage, he could be right in that pocket range.
1: So I don't disagree with that. That, that is interesting because I, I did not realize that. I think a couple things on that, though, just thinking off the top of my head, I think Stafford, he probably got helped a little bit in the fact that we didn't see the rushing QBs we've seen, like, nowadays. But, but a couple in the of past, those
2: years were 17, 2017, 2018, so.
1: I don't see Baker getting to, like, 5,000 yards, though. That was going to be my next point. or f- But for even 4,000, I feel yeah. like that's a lot for Baker, like, because, I mean, even – so if you go back to what I did, the 2019 season, I mean, that, that was when they were throwing it all the time under Freddie Kitchens uh, and their defense was still not good. And he still only got to 3,827 yards. So I, I just – I think – and maybe I'm wrong on this. I actually don't think I'd care if I'm right or wrong either way as long as they're winning, if I'm being honest. I still love Baker. I'm all in on him because I'm with you. I do think he's going to limit the mistakes because even if you go back to his rookie season – once he started getting in the groove, he limited mistakes a lot down the stretch. A lot of his interceptions came earlier in the season, and then there was game against, I think it was Houston, where he threw like mm-hmm. four interceptions. Those those were kind of like his big ones. Go ahead.
2: So last year, Carr was
1: QB yeah. 13.
2: He had 4,103 passing yards, 27 touchdowns, nine interceptions.
1: How many? I don't know. He doesn't rush that much. Now it's like I don't think he's
2: a head. huge rushing threat. I'll look
1: because I mean Baker like uh, said Baker Baker got 165 and one and one came Carr, in, like the car had Baltimore 140
2: game. yards rushing and three okay. rushing touchdowns not a huge um jump up there yeah i i'm not saying he will get there it's just i think we 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 do tend to think about like the Lamar Jackson kind of runners or the yeah the Patrick Mahomes kind of passers, but you can be more in the middling range. I'm going to, I'll look up Ryan was QB 12 last year and I, we know he doesn't run at all. Um, So he only, he did have 4,500 yards, but only 26 uh, touchdowns, 11 interceptions and he was QB12 his total rushing output was bet it wasn't
1: even over 100 yards it was 92 look at that yeah
2: so i so i mean you can i was surprised when i dug into to the bottom end now i mean i think that's what keeps baker from having top 5 potential
1: oh yeah for sure but
2: yeah. it doesn't it, it, to me it gives him the potential to be in that 12 to 16 range, which is yeah, incredibly yeah. valuable with Superflex.
1: I agree. And I, I would not disagree with that. I actually, I've almost done with my quarterback rankings and I have them at 13. So I, I'm not saying that Great you can't, I think, alike. Oh, you have my 13. Okay, cool. So yeah, yeah I, like for me, I think it's, it's more of the, the one thing that worries me overall, besides the, 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 not rushing and everything is I do think that defense is likely going to be much improved this year with the moves that they've made second year as well in Joe Wood system. So if that's the case, do they continue to run the ball at the end of the ser- at the end of the games, if they're winning and that kind of takes the ball out of Baker's hand, like we did see at times early in the season. And when they were up into those late games, like, You know The Baltimore game, the Pittsburgh game, they kept throwing because they weren't necessarily in a spot to make sure that they won the game, so that helps Baker. But if they're up a touchdown or if they're up 10 points, 12, 14 points, they're likely going to hand the ball off to Chubb and Hunt a lot, and that's going to bring Baker's points down a little bit. So I'm with you. I I would love if he finishes as QB1 just because I've been saying he's a QB1 since the minute he entered the NFL, and he has yet to do it. But he did, as I talked about, he did it at the back end of the season last year, and that does matter. He, he's he got the potential, and I agree with you on that part. So I'm excited to see what he does. Like I said, I've got him at 13 now. We'll definitely dive in more with that on Dennis on Monday because that is what we're going to be talking about. Uh, backbencher, venture. Um, we won't be talking about Loki until the end of the show. So, if you're still here, I will definitely bring up your question and we will talk about it. I don't want to give away anything right now because we haven't talked about any spoiler warnings or anything just yet. So, uh, I will definitely, if you're still here, toward the end of the show when we get to Loki, we will we will uh, discuss that. I didn't see what your question was. I just saw you mentioned Sylvie and Loki. So, uh, for the running backs, Chubb was RB eleven, missing four games in 2020. What can he do for an encore? And what are your thoughts on Kareem Hunt? Uh, as you, as I just mentioned, Chubb finishes his RB 11, 190 carries, 1,067 yards, 12 touchdowns, 16 receptions for 150 yards in 12 games. Kareem Hunt finishes his RB 10 with 198 carries, 841 yards, 6 touchdowns, 38 receptions for 304 yards and 5 touchdowns.
2: You know, I think the thing that surprised me the most looking at their stats was uh, I you always think of Hunt as a big pass pass catcher. And 38 yeah. over the run of a season is not a ton. Um, I think, you know, it's incredible what Chubb did in 12 games. If he plays a full 17, I think you see the carries tilt m- much. You know, it was pretty even last year, and that's because Hunt started four games when yeah. – When Chubb was gone, I think it goes way back the other way. I have Chubb at RB6. I think he's going to be great, going to be an RB1. Um, He's capable of catching the ball. I do still think they'll they'll use Hunt as a pass catcher, but I expect Hunt's carries to come back. And he finished his RB10 due in large part to the rushing work because we just mentioned that the passing kind of, and to having quite a few touchdowns uh, versus his yardage production. You tend to think of him as a more active pass catcher. Maybe that will pick up again. But right now I have him uh, low-end RB2. I have him sitting at 22 at the minute.
1: Yeah, I am with you 100% on that. I wish – and I'm, we'll save it for the RB discussion because I didn't get a chance to fully dive into this. But I think the narrative that Kareem Hunt is going to continue to steal carries away from Nick Chubb is being a little bit overblown. I just mentioned the total carry amount where, again, Nick Chubb missed four games. Kareem Hunt out-carried him by eight eight carries. Eight, people. Not 18, not 28, not 38. Eight. Kareem Hunt is definitely the better pass-catching back. I, I, I'm no qualm saying that. Nick Chubb is still a monster, but Kareem Hunt's a better receiver out of the backfield. They used him more in those um, situations at the beginning of the season, but after the bye week and after Chubb came back, they stopped doing that. Why? Because Kevin Stefanski doesn't want defenses to know every time Kareem Hunt's on the field, they're going to possibly be in a pass-catching situation. Nick Chubb is out there and doing the same thing, now the defense doesn't know who they're going to go to. On top of that, if you go back and look, and I do, I was able to get through some of the games, but not all of them, so I, I want to go through and finish everything. Kareem Hunt only was getting a couple carries. He, he averaged 10 carries a game with Chubb. Most of those, though, were coming in the third and fourth quarter when the game was in hand for Cleveland. If the game was close or the Browns were losing, Nick Chubb was the one on the field, which speaks to me, Chubb is their guy. Kareem Hunt... Is not just he's not a handcuff, he's he's definitely better than that, but I do think we're gonna see a big step back from him this year unless Chubb gets injured. I have Chubb at seven right now in my running back ranks, and I have Hunt at 24. I have him just inside RB2 territory because I do think they did like to use him a lot down in the red zone. So if, if Hunt ends up getting touchdowns and a, enough receptions, he's gonna buoy up to an RB2 because touchdowns matter in that second group of running backs. But I don't think either – I don't think they're both going to finish his RB1s again unless Chubb gets hurt. And Chubb, I've said it before, and you can call me a Browns homer all you want. In my opinion, he is the best pure runner in the league. The way he hits those cutback lanes, the way he hits holes, and his breakaway speed when he hits the open field. I don't think he gets enough credit for because he is a lot faster than people give him credit for. He is a great runner. I disagree with Austin. I know we talked a little bit about it in our group chat uh, when we talked about this on Debbie Debate. I think the Browns should re-sign him. I-, I don't think there's a back like that you can just draft in the draft every single year. Chubb is special in my opinion. And I think he's by far the best running back. I think he's in for a huge year as well. And that was a
2: brutal episode for you of the W debate. All Uh, I I, I cried a few tears on your behalf, just listening while I was walking around the neighborhood.
1: I get it a little bit. I, I get the, um, the arguments, you know, again. It That's just, going uh,
2: a little too far to me that running backs is the most fungible position. I agree that it I is, agree. but there are some, if you find a true difference maker, that are worth hanging on to. And we've seen yeah. teams recognizing that. Kamara got a big contract. Cook got a big contract. McCaffrey got a big contract. You have to if you're getting like RB two production and you have other guys that are doing the same thing. Okay. But I think I agree with you that Chubb does something a little bit different than a lot of the other running backs out there.
1: Yeah. I mean, I don't want to put him up there with like a Saquon or even a Zeke right now because of what they can do as like an all around running back. But I would also say, I think Chubb is a better runner than Zeke or Barkley. Now he may not be able to do the stuff in the receiving game. Those two do, He's, in my opinion, he's special. You know, I, I, he's, I've, I've always hated how down I was on him coming out of the draft. I was all, or into the, into the NFL, so worried about those knee injuries. So glad he proved me wrong. I, and it sucks because I, because I wasn't in on him. I didn't draft him anywhere, and he ends up being, in my opinion, one of the best uh, running backs the Browns have ever had. You know, granted, he's not going to touch what Jim Brown did, but if you actually go look at what he's done, he's been more successful than any other Browns running back in the first couple of years of his career missing games as well. So I'm with you, you know, and what I was going to say on the Debbie debate thing is I get it. And then I get their disbelief in Baker. And again, it's, it's hard when you're talking about that because you're comparing him to Aaron Rodgers, And I think we can both admit he's not Aaron Rodgers. but I I don't think you can hold against him. Uh, This is the thing I wish I would have said to Austin during that episode. And maybe he'll listen to this and he'll hear this and, and he'll reply back to me at some point. But they were blaming Baker for that Kansas City Chiefs game. Last I checked, Baker wasn't standing in the playing on defense, allowing the Chiefs to walk up and down the field with their second string quarterback. Because realistically, he was matching them for field goal for field goal when they were holding the Chiefs to field goals. And going into halftime, that's a three point game if Rashard Higgins holds onto the ball and doesn't get, you know, helmet to helmet and, and fumble the ball out of the back of the end zone and they lose it. Because even if you call it at the one yard line, if he doesn't score, I'm going to say 99 out of 100 times Chubbs are going to score on that goal line against that Kansas City Chiefs defense. So you're going into halftime down three. So it's not quite this blowout that Mahomes was having with that team before he goes out in that game. So I don't put all that on Baker. I'm excited to see what they can do this season because I I do think the offense in total is is going to shut a lot of people up, at least I hope. Cause if not, it's going to be a very long season, but yeah, back to Chubb and Hunt. Uh, I'm all in on Chubb as well. I got, I apparently have him one spot behind you. So I think he's going to be phenomenal and a steal in your startup drafts, or even if you're doing redraft, cause he's going late second round right now. So if you can get a top running back that late, you know, he that's one of those things where you could go, you're picking in the middle of the draft and you could get uh, like a Jonathan Taylor or, I mean, I've seen Saquon Bart, especially in redraft, startups, maybe not, but in redrafts, you know, Saquon Barkley going middle of the rounds. If you want to double up running back and grab Chubb on your way back around and then hit running back, I think that's a great start. So um, I'm all in on Chubb having a really good year. Not a great thing for the Browns overall because that means he's likely going to get uh, demand a pretty high contract, but uh, it likely will mean they're going to have a lot of success, success, uh, success again this year. I don't know why I cannot say that word quickly. All right. On to the wide receivers. We talked a little bit about Odell Beckham Jr. at the beginning of the episode. He missed pretty much all of 2020, and the narrative is the team is better without him. Matt, we already know that you've kind of talked about that you don't believe that, as neither do I, so where do you hope or where do you think he lands, and how does that affect Jarvis Landry as well? Odell, in just the seven games, finishes wide receiver 91. 23 receptions, 319 yards, and three touchdowns. Jarvis Landry finishes his wide receiver 33. 72 receptions, 840 yards, and three touchdowns.
2: So I I guess what I take away from um, what you said earlier is we're never going to be a succession recap podcast. You know what? I love the
1: show, and if you want to just be like, hey, we're going to talk about success, I just – I can't do – it's that – and I'm going to really – embarrass myself here i cannot say she's your salad i just i know that's not how you say it i say it she's your and i can't i can't not say it the correct way so as long just as they bring words. you what you
2: were hoping for it you at the restaurant that's all that matters
1: yeah i just say can i get that sea salad right there yeah that one it's just for whatever reason i really struggle with those two words not only can i not pronounce names cannot say those two words
2: for the receivers i i do think odell's can have a nice bounce back here i think Jarvis Landry is going to be okay. But by the same token, I feel like this is not a pass-first offense. They're definitely a rush-first offense. And they will use those two guys, plus you you probably will see Richard Higgins who they have back. Donovan Peoples-Jones started to come on at the end of the year. They drafted Anthony Schwartz. There are three tight ends I think we'll end up seeing involved. And I don't think they're going to have a big dominant receiver. I think Odell Beckham Jr. is going to have a decent season, but I have him as a high-end wide receiver three and Landry in the wide receiver four territory. And that's not a knock against those guys. And I still think, you know, we talked about the moderate kind of passing numbers you can put up and still be a top-end quarterback. That just feels like the Browns' sweet spot right now. So if Baker throws for 3,900 yards, it's hard to imagine you have a couple of high-producing receivers because you need receptions, yards, and a ton of touchdowns.
1: Yeah, I, so I have Odell a little bit higher than you. I have him at twenty-three, so I have him finishing as a wide receiver two, but not up in that wide receiver one range. You know, we hoped we were going to get when he came to Cleveland, and kind of what he was before the end there in New York. Still think he's going to get over a thousand yards. The big thing is going to be how many touchdowns does he get? I mean, he actually had for those people who may not re- remember. Him and Landry both had over a 1,000 yards in their first year in Cleveland. So it's possible for them to both do that. And I think Landry finished higher because he had so many touchdowns that year. I think Odell is going to be that guy this year because, like we talked about, I think he's going to be that playmaker they were missing on the offense last year at the wide receiver position. If he stays healthy, I do think his touchdowns come back. I think he's going to get 1,000 yards. But outside of I think it was like his first couple of years with New York and Matt, you can, you can fact check me on this. He hasn't had yeah. a lot of touchdowns. I think toward the end of his time with the Giants and obviously with Cleveland, he, he wasn't getting the touchdowns he was getting earlier in his career. I think that could come up a little bit, which could buoy him up. But, you know, we've talked about it a lot with some of the other guys. Like wide receiver is just a very, very deep position. So finishing down yeah. there doesn't mean you're bad. It's just I think it's going to be, a uh, you know, part of the – Uh, what you were just talking about with them being a run heavy offense, I think that's what's going to be the main effect on why these two fall back a little bit.
2: So, he had um, double digit touchdowns each of his first three seasons uh, 12, 13, 10, has not had more than six touchdowns in the last four years. And uh, you know, he's had injuries and missed some time, but one of those is a full year in Cleveland, where, as you know, to your point, he only had four. So that I mean, that's probably is a realistic concern. I still like him, you know, and I don't think it's knock where we No, Yeah, I agree. wide receiver when we get to that in a few weeks is incredibly tough and incredibly loaded.
1: Yeah, and I don't think that's I mean, if you're talking about again, I, I think he could easily get to a thousand yards like you just talked about. That first year in Cleveland, four touchdowns, but I know he had a thousand yards. So I don't know how many catches do you have the, the catches yeah. I think it was ninety he had something.
2: 74, Seventy, so even worse. Seventy-four so, for one thousand thirty-five and four touchdowns.
1: So I mean, you, you you talk about that right there. I mean, that's a good season for a wide receiver, like NFL and fantasy-wise. And I think some of that just comes to we have to remember. Just maybe Odell's not that wide receiver one he used to be. Even if he finishes a wide receiver two, where you're getting him in drafts, that's going. he's going to outproduce his draft capital. I mean, he's going late in drafts because nobody believes in him. I think he's going to have a big bounce back season. I expect Landry to have a pretty good season as well. You know, I, I think these two, uh, this, a lot is going to hinge on this season for them. You know, I was talking about it with someone off air the other day that, uh, Going forward, the next two seasons, they are both still under contract with the Browns and upwards of twelve and thirteen million dollar cap hits. And the Browns can get out from both of them after this year with no dead dead cap hits. So that's going to be big. I don't know if they move on from both of them. Do they move on from one? You know, I watched. Um, if you guys haven't seen the TV, they do a YouTube show and a podcast. That they, I believe it's I Am Athlete. I feel like I'm getting that wrong now, uh, but it's with Brandon Marshall. Um, now I cannot remember who it is. It's a really good show. Uh, they had Jarvis Landry on there recently talking about just like his friendship with Odell, how long he's known him. And for those who don't know, they played together at LSU and, and Landry even talked about on that show, like he understands that they may not play together their entire season. Like he, they understand that it's a business, but they want to take, you know, as much out of this opportunity as they can. And I do expect that to happen this year. I do think that actually them being a run heavy offense could help both of them because
2: go ahead. So it looks like I am athlete is the title, Brandon Marshall, Chad Johnson, Fred Taylor, Channing Crowder,
1: Chad Johnson. That was the one I was trying to remember off the top of my head. I knew it was a big name wide receiver. Um, but it, it, that's a great show if you guys ever have a chance to check that out. They had Jarvis on there. I think they had him on with uh, Stefan Diggs. It was a really, really good episode listening to those two talk, just kind of like the the backgrounds they came from, how they have both succeeded in the NFL, not being high-end draft picks and kind of being guys that are counted out all the time, and both of them have really made uh, themselves really good NFL careers. But uh, anyways, I do think that the running game is going to help both those wide receivers because we saw Baker thrive a lot in those rollouts and the play action fakes. And when you have a guy like Odell, who I think is going to be able to get open, especially when they bake was given the time to kind of to boot out and is given a little bit more time outside the pocket. You know, again, I think that year, the reason that killed him and the Freddie kitchen's year, and I don't remember the stat off the top of my head now, a hundred percent for sure, but I talked about it a lot that year. Odell thrives when he's on crossing routes and they ran him on one crossing route the entire season. And that just happened to be the one that he took 90 yards to the house against the New York Jets in week three. Most of the time they just literally had him running nine routes and post routes, which for those of you who don't know, is literally just running straight down the field. And the Browns offensive line was not good enough that year to allow Baker the time and protection because Odell's going to get open. Their line wasn't good enough. You could argue they have, in my opinion, the best offensive line in the game right now. So they're yeah. going to have that protection. So I think that's going to be a big key as well. You add in the running game. I think that this passing game is going to be really good if you see Harrison Bryant take a step forward as well. Overall, I think that Odell and Landry are going to be good. I I haven't I don't think I've ranked Landry yet, but I do have Odell inside the top 24. So I have him bouncing back. Hooper and Njoku are also going to be there with Harrison Bryant at tight end, who I just mentioned. Who finishes as the best, and where is that finish? Uh, Hooper was the highest tight end last year. He finishes tight end 21 with 46 receptions, 435 yards, and four touchdowns.
2: I mean, I think Hooper probably finishes the best, and he has tight end two potential. I currently have him just outside tight end too, because I honestly think they are going to use Harrison Bryant and David and Joku. Yeah. Um, you know, I think they, we saw Harrison Bryant becoming kind of a weapon uh, for scoring uh, last year too, which that will really kind of hurt. You know, if you're a tight end that you're catching 50 balls for like 500 yards, but you get no touchdowns that, you know, it's really hard to get up to. Um So I think they have three guys they like there. They have a lot of receivers they like. Like I said, I think they're going to spread the ball around. So Hooper would be my pick to finish the best. He's probably the one that's being rostered the most. I think he's probably being overdrafted. Um, It's that huge contract, and everybody thinks about that last year in Atlanta. Um, He's currently going as tight end 22. That's not – terribly unrealistic, but I think there's also a chance he doesn't even return that value for you.
1: Yeah, I, I do think it's Hooper as well, just because I think he he's the better blocker, so he's going to be on the field more often, which gives him chances to get the ball. Um, but I, I don't expect him to be much. I, I'm with you, maybe a low-end tight end too. I just think with I mean those two did start to get a little bit of a better connection toward the end of the season. So maybe that's a sign of things to come. But when you've got Odell on the field, Landry, Higgins, DPJ, Anthony Schwartz, Kareem Hunt at times, Nick Chubb, I kind of feel like Cooper's going to be pushed down that and and going to be used more as a blocker. uh, So I don't expect him to put up. I mean, we talked about it when it happened. None of us thought that this was going to be a great landing spot for him. He he was not going to produce the way he did in Atlanta. So I I think, you know, I I haven't done my tight ends, but if he comes in top 24, I mean, I don't hate him at that value because, you know, tight end is a crapshoot. All it takes is – I think I saw someone post this the other day. So this is the crazy thing about tight end. It was Kyle Yates uh, at Kyle NFL on Twitter. He does the Fantasy Pros uh, football podcast, Fantasy Pros Dynasty podcast. I don't remember which tight end. Oh, it was Jared Cook. Talk about Jared Cook, who you know we both know didn't have a great year last year. Finishes, uh, I think it was like tight end eighteen or something like that. Yeah. The difference, though, in points from tight it's end. Touchdowns to 24 it was three touchdowns altogether. That's it. That's how much was separating most of those tight ends in and complete from tight end eight to 24 range. So all it takes is for Hooper to get a couple touchdowns, and he's going to be up there. So he's not a guy that I would hate to bet on because he's going to be on the field. He's going to be able to likely going to be on the field down in the red zone. And if they do any play action fakes, he might be the guy that they go to. So he, he's a guy that I'd be willing to take a bet on because you can get him so late. All right, let's talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. They finished as uh, the fourth-place team with a 4-11-1 record. They lost, I'm sorry, they added a tackle, Riley Reef, cornerback, Chidobi Awuzie, and safety, Ricardo Allen. Their losses, Giovanni Bernard. Running back goes to the Bucks. A.J. Green, the wide receiver, to the Cardinals. Wide receiver, John Ross, to the Giants. And cornerback, William Jackson, to the Washington football team. Draft picks, they drafted Jamar Chase in the first round. They got offensive tax- tackle Jackson Carmen in the second and running back Chris Evans in the sixth. Burrow should be back. Uh last we talked about him, it, I think it was good 2-3 months ago. Now at this point, yeah. his knee testing came back. He was at about 88%, so he's going to be good to go by the time the season starts. Will the Bengals finally make a surge back to 500 or be better in 2021?
2: I think they'll be better. How much better is the question? I like some pieces. I get the rationale of going and getting a Jamar Chase. I have two huge, you know, maybe three, three questions. One minor and two huge. One minor is still bro. He's tracking pretty well. And it does seem like he's probably going to be there the whole yep. season, which is good. But that was not a small. Uh, injury. It was pretty graphically brutal to watch at the time, so hopefully you can come back. My two huge questions. Question one is the line. I know people are touting the lines better than you think. When Minnesota, who's not incredible on the offensive line, is willing to give you their tackle, that should give you a moment of pause. Um, You know, A lot of this is predicated on guys who have yet to really perform for them returning from injury. Those are all Possible things, um, but we we need to see it, uh, you know. So hopefully it is better. But then my other huge question is Zach Taylor. I don't know how good of a coach he is. You could argue that he's been handed a pretty bad hand for a couple of seasons. On the one hand, I do like that Cincinnati has demonstrated a patience we haven't seen with a lot of franchises in recognizing where they're at in the process that. They were a pretty terrible team when he got there, and last year they had some interesting moments but were plagued by a lot of injuries to key players. But we we really have to see, you know, is he good enough to take them to the next level? They're also trapped in a horrifically tough division in a very tough conference. Could they get back? There is no more 500. Um, you know, that's going to take some getting to, yeah. getting used to. <laughs> Can they get to seven, eight wins That's possible. I still think they feel more to me like a 6 or a 7 win team. Can they get to 9, 10 wins? That would take a ton of things, I think, breaking the right way for them. So I think we're going to see some improvement, and that's going to give us an idea of where they are in this rebuild process. But I think they're still in a rebuild process to me.
1: I agree with that. Uh, I think they could probably get to six, seven wins this year. Uh, the offensive line I still don't think is as fixed as they apparently believe it is. You know, we talked a little bit about it on Debbie Debate. I know we talked about it on this show. Talked about draft night. Uh, there was a the color commentator for the Bengals was talking about why he thought they were going to go Jamar Chase before the draft and saying that everybody he talked to said that they believed in their offensive line. And mm-hmm. that's great to believe in it. I don't think it's quite as good as they apparently think it is. Uh, they definitely need to patch over some of that. Defense still needs some improvements. I just don't think you can continue to count on Joe Burrow to throw 60 times a game to keep you in games. You you want him to be your franchise quarterback. You've got to give him some help, and that is including on the defense. So I think that they bounce back a little bit this year. I, I'm with you. They're just too good. There's a couple games last year they lost by you know, a touchdown or two here or there with Burrow and then without that I think could change this year, adding what they have to improve the team a little bit. Uh, you know, I hate to say this because I had high hopes for Zach Taylor, but I wonder if maybe, you know, he's not long for the job in Cincinnati either. The I, I think that the new coach that they're going to get either next year or the year after is likely going to be there when the Bengals do start turning it around. But I, I do think the Bengals are on the come up. I just don't – I agree with you. I don't think it happens this year on them making it even to like around, I guess we say around 500 since – yeah, without the tie, it's not possible. I mean, so, yeah,
2: I think honestly, an eight and nine season would be an incredible step up for them.
1: Oh, I agree because that means realistically, eight and nine puts you. I know it's going to sound crazy, but that likely puts you not only in the hunt for a wild card spot, but that puts mm-hmm. them in a decent spot in the division as well. Because, I, like, I looked the other day, the Browns over under is, is ten wins. So, yeah, and and I think Pittsburgh's is eleven. So you're looking at the, uh, this AFC North division is going to be very tough it it reminds me a lot of the uh the nfc west right now with the way these teams could beat up on each other and they're going to need uh to win a lot of their games outside of the division to kind of decide who ends up winning the division uh fantasy finishes and projections so burrow started out strong uh then was lost for the year what do we expect in year two he finishes qb 25 2628 yards 13 touchdowns five interceptions 142 rushing yards three touchdowns in just 10 games
2: I think he has great upside. I currently have him just inside QB1 at QB12. I think if he finishes out a complete season, we're going to see. I mean, he, he did pretty uh, incredibly well to finish at 25 yeah. in only 10 games. you are talking about another half of the, you know, almost half of a season now, seven, seven more if he can play a full way to get to 17. Um, so I think he's going to have a good season. I think he was tracking pretty well. It probably would have been a tight race between him and Herbert for rookie of the year. Had he not gotten injured.
1: Uh, I, so I'm a little bit lower on him. Um, you know, the 13 touchdowns worries me a little bit, especially if you go back and look, a lot of those came in like a couple games uh, out of the 10, like the Browns game. I'm pretty sure he threw his three or four. Uh, so, I mean, you take though, you can't take him away, but, he had a couple big games mixed inside that 10. Now, some of that I do think was how bad the offensive line was. That obviously changes a little bit. They, they've added to it. They are getting some healthy pieces back. You bring in a guy like Jamar Chase helps. I'm just a little worried about it. I think while he did have a good season, I think it was somewhat overrated how good it was because a lot of his stuff came in a couple good games. I have him at 14 right now, just behind Baker, so a high-end QB 2. Do I think he could get up into QB one territory? Yes, I think he has a better chance than Baker because I think they're going to be throwing the ball more. But I'm still a little bit worried about that offensive line. I'm, I, you know, I want you just talked about how serious that knee injury was. I need to see if he's even going to have that mobility back this year to get those rushing yards and touchdowns because it wasn't just an ACL tear. The whole knee was blown out. That's big. I, I wonder, you know, is that going to be one of those things where the first couple of years he's going to wear that big brace on his knee to make sure that that knee stays stabilized? Does that affect him rushing at all? And I think it could. So that will drop it. It drops him a little bit for me. Again, 14, I, I don't think is that. And I don't think 12 to the even 10 range is out of the question. But I need to see it before I'm going to believe it with Burrow. I just, I, I'm a little bit down on him. Still think he's a phenomenal talent. Mixon only played in six games last year and still led the team in rushing yards with Bernard gone. Can he be an RB one? He finishes RB 49, 119 carries 428 yards, three touchdowns, 21 receptions, 138 yards, one touchdown again in just six games.
2: Yeah. And I think this speaks also to, to what's on their, their roster. Samaj P Ryan, uh, you know, was drafted the same year, had a great, First year with Washington, we haven't really seen a ton from him since wasn't a huge factor last year. Travion Williams, we still don't know what he is. Chris Evans was an interesting late-round pickup, but I've seen a lot of people going really hard at the idea that he's going to be some kind of a major threat in that backfield. Yeah. I'm not sure I entirely buy it. it was a, it's been a couple of years since he was even massively relevant at Michigan. Um, You know, he missed all of 2019, didn't do a ton in 2020. I think a sixth round indicates that they wanted to take a flyer, and he gives depth. I think this is Joe Mixon's backfield. The only threat to him is his own ability to stay on the field. I think he's demonstrated he can be a receiving back. He's demonstrated he can carry a load. He still led the team in rushing last year and only played six games behind a middling to poor offensive line. So offensive line will hamper him, as it will everyone else. That being said, I have him as a low-end RB1 right now.
1: I'm with you. I think he he makes it into an RB1. Uh, I do think that Chris Evans has more fantasy value than probably most. Uh, I do think he's going to be the full-fledged backup. I just think he's better than P. Ryan. But unless Mixon gets hurt, I don't think he, he does anything. I mean, Mixon was having a good season last year at, behind a horrible offensive line. I think coming back, staying healthy – getting Joe Burrow back, who will dump off to him when he needs to. He's going to get the receptions. I think losing Bernard helps him there because I don't think P. Ryan's a better receiving back. I don't think Evans is a better receiving back. They have Travion Williams out of Texas A&M there. Just doesn't seem to be able to get on the field. So I think Mixon is going to be the guy who does it all. They paid him. He's going to come in there as long as he stays healthy. Uh, you know, Again, I'll, I'll say the same thing I just we talked about with Nick Chubb. I think he's a screaming value right now with where he's going in drafts. And I think the amount of production he gets, you're just got, you've just got to hope he stays healthy. Yep. Higgins had a good rookie year and Boyd was solid last year. Chase is now in the room who finishes higher and who do you want more long term? Higgins finishes as wide receiver, 28, 67 receptions, 908 yards and six touchdowns while Boyd finishes wide receiver, 29, 79 receptions for 841 yards and four touchdowns
2: this is tough. You know, I think Burroughs can have a decent season. I think Mixon uh, will be a factor in the backfield. They don't really have a tight end last year. This offense sustained three receivers getting a hundred targets. Wouldn't be shocking to see that happen again, but you kind of see that because they spread around, it damages a little bit. I have swung back to, I believe chase finishes highest. He's probably the one I want most long-term. He was taken where he was taken for a reason, the fact that they passed up a glaring needed offensive line to grab him tells you how much they think of him. I have him as low end wide receiver two. I have Higgins next in the wide receiver three range. And then I have Boyd just outside wide receiver three range as a high end wide receiver four. I just I think the Bengals are going to have to throw a lot. I think they're going to be better. I don't know that we're seeing this offense carry three receivers wide receiver three or better with how deep receiver is this season
1: yeah so for me i am i i don't it's hard to say which one long term i'm probably still gonna go chase but if you're talking about just this year i think i'm gonna go tyler Boyd. Because of the value you get him at, looking at, I can't even find him at the moment. I'll see if I can find him in a second. But I'll pull up his ADP. Jamar Chase's is twenty six points, uh, sixty five. He's going as a twenty six wide receiver off the board. T Higgins at seventy is a twenty nine. So those two are going pretty close together. Boyd is
2: wide receiver 37,
1: 37. So with a ADP of ninety one. So that's a couple of rounds later. I think Boyd is going to be in the slot, and that's going to help him. We saw, you know, if you want to go back to the LSU days, that's where Justin Jefferson was most of the time. That's why everybody was worried about Justin Jefferson could succeed on the outside when he came over and played with the Minnesota Vikings. Shamar Chase is going to command a lot of attention, as is T. Higgins. So I think if I'm going just based purely on ADP this year, I want Boyd. I, I think that it's honestly going to be Higgins or Boyd who finishes higher this year. I don't think it's going to be Chase. Long-term, though, I do probably want Chase because I think he's just the better overall. He's a – you can never say a can't-miss prospect, but I think his ceiling and f- his floor is much safer than either one of those two, and his ceiling is so much higher. I just I, – I can't see a way that Chase fa- fails in the NFL unless he, he gets injured a lot, which I – obviously hope that does not happen. Yeah. Uh, so I think, and, and for next, it would be Higgins for me because I think his ceiling is a little bit higher than Boyd's. But if you're looking at just to play the value game, I wouldn't be mad if you got, if you ended up taking Boyd because you're just going to be able to get him later. And I think that that's fine, especially with the, the kind of like the drop off at running back. If you're trying to stack up on some running backs and you get a guy like Boyd rounds later than those two, who's still going to command a lot of attention, get a lot of targets, get, get, production in that offense because they're going to have to pass the ball I, I don't think you can go wrong with any three of them really if, if when i look at it all right then tight end where there really is this is where here. we told
2: you you could tune out because yeah. uh,
1: there's this really is there worth anything playing but I mean, you got drew sample um cj Uzzoma, who i mean had moments last year I, I i picked him up when kittle went down uh didn't really help me out in scott fishbowl but i picked him up Uh, But, yeah, I mean, is there anybody worth here? I
2: I mean – No, I mean, so Uzoma last year only played two games because he got hurt. So he must have picked up Sample Um, because Uzoma only appeared in two games. He caught eight for 87 on 11 targets in those two games. And I think if I remember, that's why people got sort of excited – it's way too small of a sample size. I just don't think tight ends a huge thing. Drew sample played all 16 was the predominant starter. Saw 53 targets caught 40 for three forty nine and one that's tight end three tight end four range. Uh, That's probably about the best you're hoping for right now.
1: Yep. I I agree with you. Um, they're not any guys that I'm targeting at the end of my drafts. I, I'd rather have, as we just talked about an Austin Hooper, because I think he at least has a shot to produce. So, uh, you know, if you really got to take a stab at one, I'm going use just because he showed more flashes last year. But if I can, I'm avoiding those two altogether. So, that will do it for our division previews. We are Thaddeus Moss, another uh, – you know, I don't – I need to see it. Thaddeus Moss is not near the athlete that either one of those two is, and that's not saying a lot of either. So, because Uzoma yeah. and uh, Sample that's are not more, great
2: athletes, it. So. like more of a long shot.
1: Yeah, I mean, I know Moss had a good one year in with LSU, but a lot of that was just because LSU's offense was so dominant. I mean, they literally had the best college uh, offense ever so i I don't think that Moss is going to be able to do that kind of stuff with burrow in Cincinnati
2: unless he's doing it to prove a point to Dennis.
1: which is true. Dennis is not a big fan. We've seen well Derek Henry has has purposely gone out and shown me it multiple times. so maybe Thaddeus Moss will take Dennis's words to heart and and use it no, as no, an no, Gordon drove Philip Lindsay out of town just to show me up so, so we 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 have that effect on players, so maybe that will happen. Uh, so, uh, we will be back on Monday to talk about our quarterbacks, right? We're doing our yep. court- starting our our player projections. <laughs> so if you guys have not watched Loki or Black Widow and you do not want it because there will be many spoilers. so we're I'm, I'm giving you plenty of time now. If you don't want to listen to any spoilers, you know, we will be back on Monday. Have yourselves a good weekend. If you do, and well, stick around. Don't
2: forget that I will start posting oh, yes, over ahead. the weekend a series of uh, questions about quarterback rankings, uh, so you can respond to those. They'll come off of the FF F- Roundtable um, handle, and then we'll retweet them, but we'll keep your responses, and as we reveal rankings, you'll be able to figure out if you win. A lot of them are going to be questions about who, which of the three of us you think will fin- uh, end up higher on a player or where quarterbacks are going to land. In our rankings.
1: Yeah. So make sure to look out for that. I will also retweet it out. I'm sure Dennis will as well. So make sure to answer that if you want to get into the listener league again, if you have not watched black widow or Loki and you, you don't want anything spoiled, please stop watching now. Cause I don't want anything to be spoiled for you because I both phenomenal for different reasons. And I don't want anything to be spoiled for you. So I know we've got Loki on here first, but I want to talk Black yeah, Widow good. first. Get it out of. I don't want to say. I get it out of the not remember if, like if he was saw them,
2: but now I remember the Discord or the uh, Slack channel discussion yesterday. I almost. Yeah,
1: <laughs> well, that was that was a whole different thing. Well, we won't talk about that here, but I mean, Brie Larson, she's just she's just beautiful. So, anyways, let's talk about Black Widow. Uh, the film was a prequel. Uh, did it work for you? What, what what were your thoughts? There's been. I, I feel like a lot of. <laughs> I don't see a lot of people talking about that. Like they thought it was good. It's either they hated it or they loved it. So what were your thoughts?
2: I I enjoyed it. So for those of you that uh, haven't seen it, that are still hanging out because you're not spoiler-verse, this is a prequel. It, the action takes place almost immediately after the events of... Uh, Captain America Civil War and just before things pick up on Avengers Infinity War because if you've seen all of the Marvel movies and if you're still listening to this we trust you have or have an interest Black Widow is no longer on this mortal coil. Um, which they get to a little at the end. She she was one of those lost uh, in Endgame, as I put when I was doing my Black Widow binge watch piece. So, you know, justice for for Black Widow. I'm glad that she gets a solo film now because I felt like one of the only bummer parts of end game is she makes that big sacrifice in the middle and the entire last act. I love iron man as much as anyone. I know you do too. I get dusty yeah. when he sacrifices during his yep. funeral sequence. It's fun. almost yep. like a throwaway line at that. They, they toss a drink back. Oh yeah, we lost, uh,
1: yeah, Natasha. No, yeah. We
2: lost Natasha too, and it's like, oh boy, that's rough. So it was kind of this was a nice tribute. We get a little bit more of her backstory, diving a little bit more into her her time than I thought it was really good. I thought it was fun. I enjoyed the humor in there. David Harbour, who I love in Stranger Things. I thought he was great. Florence Pugh is great. Rachel Bice, um does give a great performance. I actually dropped it. I currently have it dropped into my top 10 for the year for 2021. And as we talked about in Slack, I have seen a few movies this year.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's the understatement of the year so far, but uh, I, yeah, I, I'm with you. I really enjoyed it, you know, and maybe, You know, I did have someone tell me the other day, because I I said, like, in my opinion, Marvel just can't miss right now. And
2: Yeah, because for as much as I like it, in my overall Marvel ranks, I have it 15. You know, that kind of tells you, Marvel knocks it out of the
0: park.
1: Yeah, it it was really good. I'm with you. I I almost wonder, I get the having a movie. I almost wonder if, like, if this would have been better if they could have made it into a show, like they have some of these other things so we could have prolonged it. Because I agree, like, I feel like, we just didn't get enough Black Widow throughout the. She was in most of. The, uh, was in a bunch of the movies after Iron Man two, but it was always kind of like in a supporting role for the most part. I mean, in Captain America two, we got to see a lot of her with. Um, that was it was Steve two right? Rogers,
2: yeah, Winter Soldier. Okay,
1: w- w- so that was probably the most we saw her out of everything else. Like she had smaller parts in Civil War, Infinity. Uh, Infinity
2: pretty, War. Pretty. She feels pretty pivotal in, um, Civil in War, ending. but you are right. That yeah. I, I think she, she was so good, but they let her fade to the background a little bit. And she is one of the longest-serving yeah. MCU characters. She, like you said. She got introduced in Iron Man Two. That was before we'd ever met Captain America. Before we'd met Thor. Before we'd met any of these. It was Iron Man, Hulk, and Black Widow. That was all we'd have seen. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, well, I think she was pivotal in Avengers. I think she did a good job of of showing how important she was to that, and obviously in Endgame. She's really the one who keeps the group together before everything starts going into motion, right? And she does give the ultimate sacrifice, which I thought was still a very pivotal and and moving scene because of how much you—and especially you find out in here why why Clint means so much to her and vice versa— so, I, I do think that was. I just feel like if it was a TV show, maybe we could have gotten a little bit more. I felt like, yep. not that the movie was rushed, but it felt like it was over before I even realized. Like we didn't get a lot of Taskmaster. That was kind of my biggest complaint because, as someone who is such a big fan of like the Marvel Canyon, Taskmaster is such a great villain that I feel like we, he was, as a she in the movie, is shortchanged quite a bit in the movie. We don't get a lot of Taskmaster, and I don't know if she has a future really in the mcu either so very vague at the end
2: well i also think this movie gets i I think this movie the reason that you're not seeing as much chat about it is it's it's had kind of a a troubled history it the marvel (coughs) originally did want it to come out much sooner um but there were kind of production hiccups one of which is you know scarlett johansson was blessed by having a child which prevented her from being able to to shoot a solo movie and then after all these years you finally get it teed up to come out and covid hits and i feel like we've been seeing trailers we, literally we have been seeing trailers for this movie and fast and furious 9 since the super bowl in 2019 and it's You know, you were waiting a long time. It's like, just give it to us, finally. So I think there was a little bit of that. I I still thought it was satisfying and worth the wait. I know some people did not enjoy the story. Some people were very upset, like you said, about the way Taskmaster was handled, that they just didn't do a good job crafting the villain. Yeah, not the greatest, but I thought it was very enjoyable, and I'm pleased as punch to have a Marvel movie back in the theater.
1: That really is my. I don't want to say complaint because I still like the movie over. It was still very enjoyable. I can't remember what um, the main villain's character name is. I keep wanting to call him Chekhov, and I know it's not Chekhov. I can't it's remember Ray, what it is. Ray
2: Winstone is the actor. Yes. Which I, can we reflect on the fact that dude's British and he didn't even attempt a Russian accent? Yeah. Like, that's all right. Attempt everybody else at least made the cursory attempt.
1: Yeah. Um, I can't remember who he plays in the movie. He was clearly the main villain, though. Like that, yeah. We no. thought it was going to be Taskmaster based on the trailers and everything, and it wasn't clearly. But I just feel like because he is such an interest, I keep saying he. It's a it's a woman in the movie, so I, I, I apologize about yeah. that.
2: <laughs> it's his daughter in the
1: yeah uh, in in MCU Taskmaster is such a Dreyfoss. interesting villain, and yeah, I Dreyfoss.
2: think. I think the reason we forget is he had such a forgettable character arc that it's hard to remember.
1: Exactly. Either. Yeah. That I just, I had hoped we'd see more because Taskmaster was just so interesting in the way he is a villain and the way he, he fights and, and cause he does, that's what he copies. He, he focuses or she, God, that's so frustrating. Cause I'm so used to the because of the yeah. comics that make you, she, and they do show a little bit of that in the movie. I just hoped for more. I, and and again, it didn't make the movie bad for me. It just I was like I was a little let down with how little Taskmaster was in the movie. Also,
2: can I ask you? So yes. clearly, uh, when you get to the end and he reveals who Taskmaster is, it was supposed to be a big moment.
1: Fell didn't short you, for me.
2: Well, didn't uh, you kind of suspect that's who it was?
1: Honestly, I,
2: I was no. Fair, I was fairly confident that that's what it was going to end up because. I guess it's because they constantly asked Natasha about what about his daughter. Right. I'm like chicks not dead. There's no way.
1: Yeah. No, I'll be honest. That didn't, I honestly just thought it was going to be a robot the whole time. Oh. And, and that was good. So the, when they were like, when they were showing the beginning part, when like they pulled the the little thing outside of, of her neck, uh, when she was watching the, the fight video, Like I was like, oh, so they're just gonna make Taskmaster a robot in this? Okay, cool. Like that part never crossed. I thought it was more of like a way to show that Natasha was because we always hear that she's done bad things in the Avengers movies, and she talks about it, but you never see it. So I assume that was like them showing. This is some of the things she did to go over and become an Avenger and how she's still haunted by it. And so that's just kind of the way I thought about it. I wasn't expecting that, but it still – it fell flat for me. It wasn't like a big like, oh, my God, no way. I was just kind of, oh, okay, it's his daughter. So, uh, But overall, I'm with you. Like I I thought David Harbour was hilarious. I loved him as – I keep wanting to not give him the correct name. Uh, No, his uh, superhero name. I keep forgetting what it is. Oh, it's the
2: red – I forget what it is too. Yeah, like I keep the red, wanting to call it dragon or something. I
1: keep wanting to call him the crimson Knight, What Florence Pugh's character calls him at one point, And he corrects her as a joke. Like, so I know that's not his name, but I found that scene to be kind of funny. So I thought he was great. I mean, overall, I thought the movie was really good. Uh, you know, over, I, I hate that that's going to be kind of like the last thing we get of black widow, because again, yeah. I feel like she may have been underutilized for the most part, did play some pivotal roles, but, but did not overall, think that uh you know i think she could have gotten more uh so what the big thing obviously is the end which we can dive into a little bit here the after credit scene they set up yelena for those of you who don't know uh yelena is in the comic books she is at times black Widow red and, guardian. and yeah there we go red guardian Um, And White Widow in the comic book. She is part of the Thunderbolts, which if you don't know who the Thunderbolts are, the Thunderbolts are Marvel's version of the Suicide Squad. For those of you who know the Suicide Squad, as we've seen the Suicide Squad movie for DC, that's the Thunderbolts version. Uh, She does at times work with Leviathan, which I will bring up is, for those of you who may not know, part of my god, and her name just jumped out of my head. Valentina. I was going to call her Julia Louise dreyfus Valentina, who we do see at the end, is the end credit scene where Yelena is visiting uh, the grave of Natasha, who so kind of put to bed because there were a lot of rumors after we saw the Voromir thing on Loki. A lot of people were wondering if maybe Natasha was coming back. I feel like that kind of solidified. Natasha is is done. She, we are moving on from her. Yelena, they're setting up, I think, to be the next Black Widow. But still keeping her assassin ways as we get the whole coming after Clint Barton, which I'll face to you one way because someone asked me this question. So I'll I'll give you the question. I'll answer it the way I did. See if you agree with me. One of my good friends who I always talk about my Marvel stuff with, he said that uh, he was curious as to why Clint Barton was the one that Valentina was wanting to go after. My thought process on that was in Endgame, we see him hunting down a lot of these people. I wonder if some of them are connected to Leviathan, which for those of you who don't know, Leviathan is like this reincarnation of Hydra in the comic books once they shut Hydra down. I imagine that's going to be a big part of stuff moving forward, maybe in the TV shows, uh, because we've already seen the U.S. agent. And he is also a part of the Thunderbolts and does at times unknowingly work for Leviathan in the comic books. And we saw Valentina has a little thing with him at the end of Cap and Winter or Winter Soldier and uh, Falcon. So I think that they're setting that up as a possible Hawkeye TV series, as we do know is coming, I think in 2022, I believe is when Hawkeye drops.
2: Yeah, I think so. I think that's, we had hoped to get it at the end of this year, but yeah, but I think,
1: Yeah, that that probably doesn't happen. So I, I think that they're setting that up for the TV series as some kind of thing with Yelena there and her. My big question is, I wonder if she is evil or if she is the same as U.S. Asian in this and she's working unknowingly with an evil organization.
2: Yeah. That's going to be a good question. We know Hawkeye too is about training a protege in the character that Haley Steinfeld is playing, so it's yes. very possible that you know the show ends up being kind of the final hurrah for Jeremy Renner, yeah. uh, who's also been you know in the MCU for quite a long time. Um, is another character who I don't know if everyone's clamored for it the same way they've been interested in the Black Widow kind of feature solo project. It
1: hasn't hasn't really been
2: featured aside from that arc of Ultron.
1: I hate that he has not gotten enough screen times. I think Hawkeye is a pivotal Avenger and it really has not gotten enough love.
2: So, you know, could be going a couple of... Ways with that um, It'll be interesting to see No, they still are confirmed Hawkeye is late 2021 I That's what I thought It's still potentially coming out uh, November, December, the end of the year So hopefully we'll get our answers Before the year is out It'll be interesting to see She was previously announced At Florence Pugh as being part of that cast So they're The kind of spoiler At the end of of the film is leading into the TV show because you're kind of seeing them interchange. We've seen a couple of the shows do teasers into what we know is going to be part of the movies. Um, it's just interesting how they keep growing the brand. It's, you know, it makes me wonder too, I think in the original when they were hoping to release Black Widow film would have come out before the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, which was supposed to be yeah. the first of the TV shows as we've talked about. I wonder if it's the same post credit sequence. Part of me wondered, was this going to be our introduction to Julia Louis-Dreyfus' character and then seeing her pop up? Because now we're familiar with her if you've seen the yeah. seen the shows. Um, but it'll be fun to see them build upon each other. I really liked Florence Pugh in that role, and I'm excited to see her continue on in the MCU. I will miss Scarlett Johansson's character. I appreciated uh, what she's done. And, you know, I think it was... An, It was a bittersweet moment at the end, you know, when she's getting on the jet to help because, you know, she's got the haircut and she's getting that jet. that You obviously see uh, when Infinity Wars picks up that she's, you know, out there working with Cap. Uh, And that's probably how we'll always remember.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's definitely... You know, it's sad to know that that's the last time we're going to see here, kind of like, you know, uh, and I I know you've talked a little bit about it, but once What If drops in a month, like that's going to be, once that ends, you know, we know that that's going to be the last of our view on Black Panther, Uh, at least this version of Black Panther. We don't know how that's going to go going forward with that being the last movie that he recorded before he passed as well, so It it definitely, I agree with you on that part. It's bittersweet. I'm excited for Florence Pugh. I thought she killed it as Yelena. Excited to see what she does moving forward. and Excited to see what they do with her character. Like I said, it definitely seems like they're going uh, with her, kind of keeping her assassin ways, where we've seen Black Widow kind of move away from that when she joined the Avengers. So what does that mean for her? I'm excited for the Hawkeye series. Like I said, I think he is very much like Black Widow and an underutilized character in in this series. But I get it in a way because... You know, much like Black Widow, those are the two that don't have any real superpowers. Like I know Iron Man doesn't technically, but he's got the suit, does everything. He he's he's you know, got the
2: same superpower as Batman. He's rich yeah,
1: man. exactly. So I think you know for those two, maybe that's why they don't get enough love in the the TV and movie versions because there's only so much you can do with their characters. When the comics, they're just such big parts of the that. What's the
2: best Red joke in uh, in Black Widow though? oh, uh, yeah, they probably don't want you to be hurt or else they'd send one of the big Avengers. Yeah. What do you mean, one of the big Avengers? Yeah. Well, I doubt the God of Thunder has to take an ibuprofen after
1: yeah. a battle. Yeah, I, I thought, like I said, there, there was a lot of very good lines. Like I, I said, I mentioned the Crimson Knight one had me laughing. I, I love the uh, the talk with her, uh, Florence Pugh, when she's making fun of Black Widow doing her st- the stance that she always does, like, there is a lot of really good parts of that movie. I said, I, I'm glad that we did get it. Is it maybe part of me, like I said, wishes it was a TV series. Cause maybe they could have extended it a little bit longer. We've could have gotten a little bit more back backstory in depth. Yeah. Into like it, why like was Alexi gotten.
2: in prison? Exactly. They, they and, and we never made, really answer that question. Yeah,
1: I assume it's, well, he does mention, I think, I mean, uh, he
2: referenced that he got scapegoated for something. Yeah. But,
1: but we don't know what exactly. So it would have been nice to like, get back more backstories on, you know, I'm going to say her family, even though it was a fake family or whatever. Like, it'd have been nice to get more backstory and more into it than we got into the movie or only ha- have a certain amount of time. You know, you get the two hours where the TV shows we got, even if it's six episodes, that's six hours or right around of, of, of stories. So I'd love to see it, but overall, great send off. And, and I'm excited to see what Elena does in the universe. Very interested to see how or where her character goes. So, Let's talk about Loki because holy crap. Um, for an episode that did not have a lot of action, I was, I'll be honest, maybe I hate to say this because I feel like some people are going to be like, oh, it's what have you done for me lately? It was my favorite episode not only of the series, but I think of all three TV shows. Like I thought, I don't remember the actor's name. I'm going to ruin something here for you. So again, you're stuck around. I assume you've watched it. The gentleman who played Kang or they call him in this show, He Who Remains, was phenomenal. I mean, that dude killed it. I thought it was awesome from the minute you meet him in this episode to the last minute that he's in there winking at uh, Sylvie saying, see you soon as he's dying, Mm. was just a phenomenal thing. Loved this episode altogether. But before we dive too deep into it, finale's over with. You got to watch it. What were kind of like your overall thoughts?
2: Yeah, I thought Jonathan Majors did a great job. For those of you who had a chance to watch Lovecraft Country on HBO last year, kind of a fascinating uh, sci-fi series, sci-fi horror series on there. He was incredible in the lead role on that show. It's nice to see him um, getting other prominent jobs. I thought he did a great job since we know uh the you know the post credit scene for loki was nothing more than telling us that loki would return for season two i'm assuming we're going to see much more of him um, because it seems like everything he said at the end was certainly valid and true and it if we pop up back ventures question from earlier i actually think um you know he has a question about where You know, when Loki goes back to the TVA, he ends up in an alternate timeline. How is that possible if he who remains had not yet been killed? I think what they were trying to tell you is when all the branches started on the timeline, that was an indication that all those other realities were coming back and were there. And they could have quelched the branches off the timeline if the two Lokis had agreed to take over. Yeah, but they already had started creating the other realities, and when she sent them back, she probably accidentally sent them to another reality because they were bursting out everywhere, and then she just sealed the fate that that's what it was when she stabbed him through. That was my that's my guess. My takeaway. yeah.
1: No, they were already branching out um, before before the fight even happens. Uh, he he mentions when he says, I don't know what's going to happen and drops the thing not knowing if it's going to hit the ground or not or hit the desk. Yeah, and, and he even mentions while they're fighting, he's like, make your decision soon because everything's already branching off. So that was happening before he died. I will also say... And I've, I've, I've brought this up before. Now we can have the full conversation because like I've mentioned it. I'm pretty sure I've mentioned it to you and I know I've mentioned it to my friend that I was just talking about. I haven't had a chance to discuss this show with him as he hasn't had a chance to watch it yet. The multiverse has already been here. Um, now what I think the difference is, is they have what they call is their sacred timeline, but clearly you have all these other Lokis as you see in the void they weren't part of that sacred timeline. They're part of their own timelines. I think there was multiple sacred timelines, as he mentions mm-hmm. in his discussion. They just don't allow – I think what their whole goal was with the TVA and himself is they didn't want the variants to cross and become a multiverse war, so they do their best to keep every timeline intact of whatever that timeline is supposed to be. There's not just one timeline where just our Loki, well, say our is and Tom Hiddleston exist because Sylvie's there. Sylvie's yeah. not a made up person. She exists on her timeline. That's their sacred timeline. Every timeline is sacred to what it is. When they when Mobius and Hunter B15 talk about it with that with their Loki or our Loki, that's because that's their sacred timeline. There's still universes as he talks about stacked on top of each other all over the place. They just don't want them to interact because they don't want there to be a war, which is kind of what I've been assuming all along. Now that's here. It's it's because she has killed him. She's killed Kang the Conqueror, which for those of you who don't know, is it's Kang the Conqueror. I don't think they ever actually call him Kang, but in the comic books, he's a major villain for the Avengers. I assume that's who they're now setting up to be the face four major villain for Avengers and everything else, which I do think is kind of cool that they're setting that up with the low-key TV series. Yeah. But yeah, I think the multiverses have been here. They've just done a really good job of, of the TVA has done a good job of keeping that under wraps um for that. So I, I think you know him going to the alternate one definitely sets up what season two I think is going to be for Loki. Shows us that Kang is clearly I think he clearly gets sent back to one of the timelines where this Kang the Conqueror is more evil than the one that we saw as he mentioned. And and I do think it's going to lead to some very interesting things moving forward. We know it's setting this clearly mm-hmm. sets up Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness, Spider-Man, you I mean. know, and and however, I think this honestly sets up what if as well. I think we talked a little bit about, I don't know if we talked about this on air or off air last week, so I don't, I think it was off air. A little where, bit
2: on air. Yeah, we were talking about the trailer.
1: Yeah, I think like this could set up with what if, uh, then possibly bringing in an Ironheart Heart. For Iron Man, we do know that that is in the works. I did see uh, something for that the other day, and I wouldn't be surprised. I'll throw this out here on air. I, I know I, t- I mentioned this off air with you. I wouldn't be surprised if maybe this sets up a Michael B. Jordan returning as Black Panther in the new Black Panther movie because of what if, and, and them trying to find a the best way possible to kind of move that series along with us not having
2: Chadwick Boseman
1: Chadwick Boseman I don't know why I cannot remember his name there oh. for a minute with Chadwick Boseman um unfortunately passing before we could continue on with the Black Panther movies that may be like a more graceful way for them to do that so I, I am very intrigued to see where this goes I love again that they're setting up not just the future of the movies but likely the future of some of the TV shows as well with the Loki show um and you know what like what I guess like what was, do do you know much about Kang and like kind of what was your takeaway from all of that? Like the whole thing, because I do think it's a very interesting question, right? Like there's a lot of people who there's some people who believe in a higher power and God, some that don't. And some people believe that everything is predestined. Some people believe we have free will. I do think that that's a very interesting question that they kind of talked about this entire show. And we didn't really get an answer on, on, is it free will or is everything predestined? Because Kang sure made it seem like everything up to a certain point was already predestined. And he even says, once you kill me, this is what's going to happen. And I'm just going to be right back here once it's all over.
2: Yeah. And that's kind of a tricky proposition. They definitely, um, Gave him some godlike powers, but we're pretty yeah. quick to back away from from that. I mean, but they mix a lot of mythology. Loki and Thor come from Norse mythology. I mean, they're, yeah. they're gods, yeah, uh, gods and that. So I thought it fit well. What uh, would be most exciting to me is to see Jonathan Majors being able to continue in this part because I thought he was very good. Oh, um, I'm sure he will. He yeah. he enjoyed. Well, no, I mean, definitely, obviously, yeah. The, the statue, freaking at, the statue of yeah. at the end. But I mean, going into the movies and you have to assume, I, I would agree with you. It's probably launching into being a piece of uh, this whole phase four. what they're going to do. And I, th- I think that gives it some legitimate excitement. Um, I did like that part. I thought it was a well done finale. I think it launches into a lot of things. Tom Hiddleston uh, is just so good in that role. Uh, some of his, His acting is really good. Sophie DiMartino, who plays Sylvie, um, was incredible. I I I have enjoyed Owen Wilson here. I think they have a great cast, great role. I was satisfied with what happened, which I'll be curious. So you talked about you thought this was not only your favorite episode of Loki, but of any of the shows. Is this your
1: favorite of the three series? It is. um, Because so for me, I don't want to say I didn't enjoy parts of WandaVision. I just felt like there were some episodes where it's very close for me in WandaVision. Maybe I need to go back and re-watch WandaVision because I, I did really enjoy that. I loved a lot of this stuff that you got in, I'll just say, in the bubble and out of the bubble for WandaVision. Yeah. But for me, I think with, I was just so like dialed in for every episode of Loki. I mean, like I said, we talked about last week's episode, I think for me was the only one that it felt like a little bit of a filler episode. I feel like we got that a little bit more with Scarlett Johansson and the payoff here, I think with Loki was 10 times more than what we got with WandaVision. Like I, 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 we joke because I, I would always call her Agnes or Agatha and it was always the other. Cause she's got one, one name in the comic book and one in the show. The payoff there wasn't a major thing outside of – we Vision is alive. We know that. But like outside of that, there wasn't much for me. You get the the multiverse thing at the end with her kids uh, screaming out. Overall, I loved what WandaVision did, but I think the payoff with Kang and just everything with Loki and you still not knowing what's going to happen with him, I thought, just made the show altogether so much better for me.
2: So you would very closely align to our friend Ricky, who uh, his Twitter question today uh, wasn't really a question. I, I clicked was,
1: yes. I voted yes. Yeah. yeah.
2: And you, you did you see the comment thread that I started off?
1: With? I, I did not know.
2: So I will preface by saying that for me, um, an emotional, a personal emotional reaction plays a big role into whether I appreciate something as a piece of art or it becomes a favorite and moves up. I loved the production values and thought the performances and the characters were very good. Uh, this might be the best cast all the way through of any of the Marvel shows. But for good or for bad, it did not elicit much of a emotional reaction from me. It's actually my least favorite of the series so far. Interesting. and Which is which i is odd to say falcon and the winter soldier you know i reviled at the beginning but yeah. was so moved by some of sam's interactions with bucky and with the original um black super she, soldier yeah and some of what they they covered and some of the redemption arcs that they had were so emotionally engaging to me that i'm i moved it up loki was beautifully done i'm excited about what it sets up i thought it was very clever but it never there was nothing in it that was like the wanda and vision exchange when he talks about sorrow right. and there was nothing where i had to stop you know, for Yeah, for a few minutes and so for me I, it's I right it's fine but like i in my mcu rankings i dropped it below black widow Gotcha.
1: Yeah, I think for me, I just felt the the storyline the entire time of Lo- is Loki a bad person? And can he change? Because I felt like that was the whole arc of the story, and then but, he I mean, showed that what?
2: that part, you know, and and their potential relationship. But we have seen him go through that. Can he change in Thor: The Dark World? Yes. In Thor Ragnarok. I actually think he achieved that arc in a much more satisfying way in Ragnarok and, and the beginning of Infinity War than seeing it happen yet again.
1: So I think that is why it sticks with me so much, though, is because he continually has to fight for that struggle, to love himself. And I feel like that's the yeah. message that comes through at the end, and then he gets betrayed. And that's where I think – that's what hit with me is because, you know, we know obviously that the Loki in Ragnarok now, right, is not the Loki we're seeing in this show because he, he's – his whatever has gone on to continue on the timeline, and he's a variant. So going through the movies, he still has never gotten to the point where he's like, I I can be a good person like we do get to see in the show. And again, he I, – I somewhat – like and somewhat dislike the love falling in love with yourself but i get the premise of what they're trying to say right they're they're trying to say like you have to love yourself before you can improve yourself kind of thing and he does that and then she betrays him and i feel like that was very powerful for me and i think it was a little bit powerful for her as well because after she kills king all of a sudden it's like it's over with and i just betrayed him and you like she starts crying and i feel like that all that together mixed with loki realizing like hey especially at the end too, where he's like, you know, he realizes what they've done and he tries to go tell Mobius only to find out that the only other friend he thought he had is now not even his friend anymore because it's he doesn't know who he is. He's completely different. So all that entailed, I thought, was maybe a bit pulled a little bit more emotionally for me uh, than yeah. it did for you. And I think, again, what it set up, the payoff, I felt like just meant more. Like, I, I agree with you. Nothing tops the scene with Wanda and Vision. And I yeah. feel like, Outside of Iron Man's death, there's not going to be much that does. That was a very, that really pulls at your heartstrings. I mean, outside of, I, I mean, just going off the top of my head, the mi- the first minute Iron Man and Spider-Man get back together and end game was a very touching scene where he just, you can see like, and again, this just goes, I'm going to start crying. Just thinking yeah, about it. No, no, no. <laughs> just Robert Downey Jr. Is just amazing acting ability. Uh, why he is my favorite. And we talked in the chat about that. Who's our favorite male of the MCU. And it's Robert Downey Jr. By far for me, just because of who he is as a person and how well he embodies that character. And like, him you can see holding back the tears as he holds Spider-Man and they're like you didn't die. Like I am so happy. And then obviously his final scene, like I just re-watched yeah. it again the other day and it still gets me. Yeah. And then the funeral, I like your tweet about that. Yeah. yeah, I'm like it's still I can't, you can't, I make, can't. It you can't yeah, make it through. Yeah. And so uh
2: Well and that's why division and, and with that's why that scene I preface is up there with with Loki too. Some of how it ends up branching out into movies and into a second yeah. season may change my appreciation of it, and all the things you said about that change, you know, are not. I don't think are untrue. It just, you know, Ragnarok for me is third all time Marvel project, and it's due in large part to I thought there was such a compelling brother arc. Yeah. There with Thor and Loki. Um, And so sometimes in the show, I I feel like, okay, it almost feels like ever since Avengers, every time you see him, it's some variation of this. And I know that this is the Loki variant that they pulled out at the end of the revision of Endgame, but he also had a chance to watch his entire history or the entire other Loki's history yeah. And see some of that. So I felt like that was them bringing him back to a place where he's realizing he, he is capable of change. What will be interesting to me is he finally totally put himself out there and laid himself bare and yeah. essentially got spurned. Is that going to cause him to move back or has so- he taken real growth and will move forward?
1: That is going to be the interesting thing for me, and I don't want to go too much longer because we're almost at like uh, hour forty-five right now. So maybe we can like talk more about this in depth uh, on another episode. But uh, that is interesting to me because there is a comic book about this. Now it doesn't involve the TVA and everything, but it does involve Loki trying to prove that he is a a good person and a good person at heart. And it involves another, I can't remember who the goddess is, but there's a goddess that's pulling his strings. And it's also Loki from the future pulling the strings because he knows that she's lying to him the whole time. And so he's actually going back. It's like, it sends a whole thing to short, long story short, Loki goes through a bunch of trials to prove that he's a good person. And at the end of the trials, he finds out that he's being manipulated the whole time, as in he is being used to make other people better, like Thor. Like, hey, this is why you are going to become who you are. They use him as a stepping stone to allow these other people to become better people. And he finds out about it at the end, which obviously crushes him because he thinks he's doing good deeds. And all along, the trials get harder and harder, and it's actually because Loki goes back in time because he already knows this and his future self is making it harder and harder on this right Cause he wants to make himself so hardened and so tough that nobody can hurt him again like that. I wonder if they're going that route possibly. I yeah. hope not. I really hope not, but I would not be surprised if that is. And then how does that fit back into the MCU? I'm curious to see it. They definitely have left open now a, huge amount of po- i mean an uh, infinite amount of possibilities realistically i mean we see in what if, what if i assume you've watched the trailer now you've got yeah. zombie you got the zombies come back which is a huge thing in marvel back in the day before civil war you could have the secret wars as we already know the kree exist from Mark Captain Marvel, um, we know that the Kree have been impersonating other people. We could have the Secret War come in now, and we could have the Multiverse Wars. There's all different ways that they could go with this. You know, we do know that that's going to be a big key for a couple of the movies coming up, and how far does that stretch into Phase Four is going to be a lot of fun to watch. So we'll call it there because we're at about an hour forty. Uh, we can definitely revisit this. Uh, I don't think we have anything for a month. Is uh, well, so what if?
2: Uh, we're going to start Ted Lasso, but it does not yes, debut until next Friday. So it'll be a couple of Thursdays.
1: So maybe we can we can revisit this a little bit more on, on next Thursday and kind of dive more into it because, yeah, yeah, Ted Lasso is sit. definitely going to be fun. So. Let it
2: sit with us for a little bit.
1: Yeah. All right, well that will do it for us today though. If you guys uh, have any other questions about Marvel, want to talk with us on that, you guys can always go to the sitecampuscant.com, jump in the Discord with us. We do a lot of talking in there on that. Matt, myself and Dennis will be back on Monday. We, we might talking? have
2: to make we might have to make a Marvel uh channel
1: We probably then. need to. Um do uh are we doing back end or the top end of quarterbacks on Monday? Top end, 1 to 20. One two twenty on Monday, so Which is everybody- even
2: More reason we'll continue this on Thursday because
1: yeah, there's not going to be much to talk about after that. Yeah, all right, uh, we will. Yeah, we'll be back on Monday with that. Enjoy your guys' weekend, and we will talk to you guys again soon.
0: Prepare for glory. I don't know if you got your popcorn ready. Do you got your popcorn ready? I came like the whole line ready. And he's hit the end zone for an unbelievable touchdown. I would be honored if you played football for this team. Throw it up above his head. They can't jump with me. Golly! Oh, they tackle him in the corner. Who can make a play? I can! Who can make a play? I can! <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>